0: Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. everybody, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Coffee, Cows, and Crops. Uh, I'm Johanna Marie, and today I'm talking to Sonia Raven, the agricultural fieldman from the County of Grand Prairie. And today we're going to talk about weeds. Um, but before we get into that, uh, Sonia, would you mind introducing yourself and giving a bit of a background on how you got started as an ag fieldman?
1: Oh, sure. I, I would love to do that. Um, I'm originally a BC girl. I was raised on a cattle ranch in the BC interior. My dad's passion for the land and being raised in the ranching culture ensured I'd be an Aggie when I grew up. I went to university in Kamloops for natural resources and then to Oregon State in rangeland management. What was then sustainable resource development brought me to Alberta as a range agrologist for seven years up in the Fort Vermilion area. From there I was fortunate to be able to move south and become the egg fieldman for the county of GP, where I have been for the last 11 years. It is a great job and I love it.
0: That's great. Um, so what does an egg fieldman do? I know you have some stuff that you do that is related to weeds, but beyond that, I don't really know what your job description is.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, I, I get that a lot and uh, I liken it to being a, a professional cat herder. Um, I'm responsible for the activities of the County Ag Department, which are very diverse in nature. Um, During the winter, I have a staff of about eight and in the summer that balloons up to 31. So there's a lot of uh, HR stuff that goes into that, but we do roadside mowing, noxious weed control, pest and disease inspecting, weed inspecting, rural extensions like off-stream watering projects or helping farmers with environmental farm plans. We do problem wildlife control, such as dealing with problem coyotes, we blast dams, we help Alberta agriculture with all of their annual research surveys. Uh, What else do we do? We provide plant and weed ID services, we help citizens develop weed management plans, we assist people with pasture and forage questions, provide weed control advice, run numerous workshops, and work collaboratively with research organizations like SARDA and the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association. Much of what we do, like weed inspecting and weed control, is directed by legislation.
0: Okay, So I know um, at the simplest level, weeds are really just plants growing somewhere you don't want them to be. Um, But more than that, we have some pretty aggressive invasive species, and the government has policies about regulating certain kinds of weeds. So can you talk a bit about, about that regulation and why it's important? Sure.
1: Um, The go-to for any sort of weed regulation in Alberta is the Weed Control Act of Alberta and then the corresponding weed control regulation. These two pieces of legislation name the weeds that we're concerned with and break them into two categories. Noxious must be prevented from spreading and prohibited noxious, which have to be eradicated completely destroyed. There is room in the act for wiring noxious weeds to be eradicated, but it's only used in certain circumstances. And having these two pieces of legislation is really important because it allows for municipalities who've been designated as the enforcement authority by the province to inspect for weeds, ask people to deal with their weeds as directed, and even enforce if it escalates to the person receiving a weed notice that they don't comply with. And all this is in the interest of protecting agricultural land from rampant weed invasion because that has significant economic impact and as well as protecting our natural areas from the same. Then we are hopefully ensuring we can maintain our biodiversity and the natural areas that provide forage to our various wildlife species.
0: Okay, so what determines how a weed ends up in a certain classification, whether it's noxious, prohibited noxious, any of that? Um,
1: There are a team of um, some weed scientists, agricultural fieldmen, and um, government representatives that basically we look at all the potential invasive species that could come in and, or have been starting to come in and how that could impact us here in, in Alberta. But when we get right down to it, prohibited noxious weeds, they're classified as such because they either don't have a firm foothold in Alberta. So it is realistic to eradicate them so they don't spread. Or they are just so crazily inv- invasive that we have to do all we can to make sure they're destroyed at every turn. So an example of this would be spotted knapweed or orange hawkweed. Both are, you know, I've I've had a couple of incidents of them up here in the in the piece, but hardly ever see them. However, if they could if they had an opportunity to get get established, they can really really spread and just become of endemic we we would have such difficulty getting rid of them. So noxious weeds on the other hand are weeds that are already fa- fairly well established in parts of the province. Eradicating them just really isn't feasible. They're important to control however because they can spread rapidly and they cause significant economic losses to agricultural producers. And again getting back into what I'd mentioned earlier, they invade natural areas and that reduces the forage for the animals that are living there and reduces thus reduces biodiversity. So an example of of, uh, a noxious weed would be Canada thistle or common tansy. It's all over the place. It's not realistic to expect people to eradicate them. And so what we do is we strive for control so at least they don't spread.
0: That makes sense. So what are some of the most common, I guess, yeah. what What are the most common regulated weeds that we find in the piece?
1: Well, we're lucky in the piece because we don't have a huge huge list of them we we get a little bit of this and a little bit of that but our our main uh our main bad actors are um canada thistle mayweed which is also known as scentless chamomile common tansy yellow flax, perennial sow thistle and some areas in the piece also have tall buttercup we have noticed in the county that orange hawkweed is trying to gain a foothold. And there's a few sightings of common mullen and spotted knapweed, which is prohibited noxious. So in areas like the South, because of their climate and the type of soils that they have, they have a much wider range of noxious weeds to deal with than we do. However, the ones we have are um, quite well established and uh, they certainly provide us with lots of uh, job security, shall we say, because uh, Every time we turn around, we find some more.
0: So, how do how do these, um, especially these prohibited noxious weeds that um, aren't really common, how do they get here? <laughs> how do they travel? Okay, um, they
1: arrive via human transmission. Um, they can come from imported hay. If somebody's bought some seed that hasn't isn't um, certified, they can come in through various transportation corridors, such as rail. They can be brought in on contaminated equipment or vehicles, be those ag vehicles or industrial, and even from recreational vehicles such as quads and side by sides. Hikers can bring weed seeds to new areas too if their boots or clothes have weed seeds clinging to them, or in the mud in the treads of their vehicle or boots. One of my uh, favorite stories, I guess, that uh, that I was told when I first arrived in the Grand Prairie area was how this woman had brought a tansy plant and some seeds from England when she moved here a hundred and some odd years ago. And it was to remind her of home. But also, if you make a tea from the leaves, tansy is actually what they call an abortificant, so that you could use it as birth control. And it would essentially stop you from getting pregnant. So it was sort of like the precursor to the pill a hundred years ago. And the problem is, tansy really likes wet areas and we have lots of them and it's hard to get weeds out of wet areas because there's a lot of restrictions around herbicide application and tansy is not really effectively dealt with by digging up so um, this one lady's single plant has been blamed for all the tansy that's in the in the county of grand prairie now whether that's exactly true maybe not but regardless uh that is how one you know one species came and got established it was a useful plant and back in england they don't have the minus 20 celsius that it takes for this for the seeds to become viable but of course here we do so our winters are just ideally um suited for tansy to to spread like crazy and
0: it did so once people have an invasive weed problem, what sorts of things uh, can they do to control it? Because I know there's there's herbicides, obviously, but what are some other options? Well, I,
1: look, I liken it to it's, it's a problem to be solved. And so I look at it as by asking questions. The first thing you need to do is what kind of weed is it? Identify it. So then you can figure out what methods would work to get rid of it. If it's in an annual like mayweed, and the area is reasonably small, weeding can work quite quite well. We had um, we had an area in uh, one of our subdivisions that was just had quite a bit of, of mayweed, but it was contained to one area. And three or four years of consistent weeding, there isn't any left there anymore, and it just doesn't grow back. And we didn't have to apply herbicide in the middle of a residential area. You know, knowing how how the plant grows, whether it's an annual or perennial, and what the roots are like helps you figure out okay what can i do to actually get rid of it if it's a perennial with an extensive root system like canada thistle weeding doesn't work very well with thistle for every foot of uh, plant growth you have above ground you've got at least three feet of roots below ground now that doesn't mean they're going straight down three feet but they are tremendous root uh, producers and those roots are very long and they are very, very good at giving rise to new plants. So with thistle, weeding doesn't work very well. So you might need a herbicide or you could mow it repeatedly just as it's about to flower. And then the next question to ask is, well, how did it get here? Then you can figure out, okay, maybe the hay that I bought from Joe and Pinoka might not be a good choice going forward because, wow, I've got all this white cockle or whatever that I never had before. And the only thing that's different is this hay that I bought. Thirdly, you look at why it got established. Is your pasture in poor health? Is that area heavily compacted? Is there a lot of bare ground that the weeds can become established on? or is the area constantly being disturbed so that really only weeds can become established? Weeds love disturbed areas. Our domestic um, grasses and plants, not so much. You disturb them, they die, but weeds jump into those areas because there's no competition. So they can get in there and get, um, get well-established. Weeds are actually really poor competitors. So if you have a really well-established pasture or, or, um, hayfield, it's very hard for a weed to come in and get a big infestation going because they just don't compete well as um, when they're young. When they're older and they're well established, then they can really hold on to what what, um, spaces they've occupied. So if your pasture is in poor condition, then you can say, okay, well now I know how to proceed. You might want to improve your pasture. It'll definitely be worth your while. While you're controlling your weeds, so the next round of weed seeds can't become established. Like I said, they're poor competitors. If you've got um, uh, an agronomic grass species like a brome or fescue or anything like that growing, they're gonna get up, get going, and outcompete those weed seeds nine times out of ten. So if you get that healthy, established um, field going, you're gonna you're kind of weed proofing what you're doing. In the first year, of course, not all our agronomic um, species will sprout quite as well as we like. So you really have to watch whether your weeds, any of the weeds are becoming established. And you might have to look after those um, within the area that you've seeded. Um, If the area is constantly being disturbed, well, then you might wanna keep mowing your weeds so they don't set seed or spread. And that is a form of control, at least if they're a noxious weed. Um, There's no point in pouring herbicide on a berm that keeps getting disturbed if it's gonna keep getting disturbed because you're just gonna have weeds every year and then you're pouring herbicide on herbicide on herbicide. And while herbicide is, is an effective tool for certain circumstances, the idea of applying it again and again and again for the same situation it's not, it's not effective and it's it's really not um, an environmentally sound practice. If you were getting something established on that berm and it wasn't going to be disturbed again, then by all means, take the herbicide to wipe the weeds out to get you a good start for your, your grass or whatever you're growing on that berm. And then um, that'll allow you to get rid of the, the weeds that are there and give your, your grass or whatever you're planting a good start on it. And then once you've done all this, you go back and you evaluate how the treatment you chose worked. Did it work? Great. If the weeds are controlled or cleaned up, you're good. But if there's still a few, you can go through the process again and try something different. Maybe you've only got, um, maybe you weeded your your mayweed um, plants and there's, there's two that came up. So you go and you pick them, done. You don't need to haul out the herbicide for two plants. Um, if you've got um, you were able to mow your, your um, thistle regularly so that it never had a chance to set seed. And the next year you come back and you go, wow, I got rid of 80% of those 80% of those plants. Okay, so I still have 20%. Well maybe I'll just keep mowing and see how that works. So you just you have to go back and see how it works and if it doesn't well then you try something else. And really we have three three main choices. there's mechanical control like mowing and weeding cultural control like plowing or disking and then there's chemical controls such as herbicide application and it really depends which what you use depends on the questions that you've asked yourself and the kind kind of plant you've got and the situation that you're dealing with so I never automatically resort to herbicide control I want to find out what's happening on that piece of land and why things are the way they are and then from there you can develop a proper plan that isn't reliant on one method only.
0: That's a long answer.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's kind of a complicated question. So, <laughs> so I know there's some some weeds that can come back from cut up plant material or chunks of roots or or that sort of thing. Um, there's a couple of really uh, insidious grasses and stuff that will come back from rhizomes if you plow it. So you got to be really careful if you plow a field with that particular grass in it. Um, So what works to destroy those sorts of plants? Because I think you have to burn them or decompose them or something sometimes. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it really, again, that's why it's so important
1: to know what you're dealing with. Um, I don't recommend, for example, that somebody goes and discs a field of Canada thistle because basically you've just now seeded it into nice fairly deep rows. Um, So knowing what you've got is really important. Um, One of the best ways that that we really advocate here for destroying weed seeds or, um, or plant material that can give rise to new plants is burning it. And the county encourages our uh, residents to bag their weeds. They can bring them to the Claremont landfill. We have a burn pile that is designated for weeds. It's, it's filled with a lot of the highly flammable um, wood that burns quickly and hot. And um, we fire that up as, as soon as conditions allow. So we're burning weeds quite regularly. Burying them in the landfill just ensures that your landfill is gonna have a lot of weeds. So we've we've taken to the burning, we had um, an incinerator at one point, but because we have so much, uh, it really wasn't able to keep up with our demand. And um, also when you do pull established um, uh, mayweed plants, for example, there's a lot of seed in that soil right around their roots. So we encourage people to actually take that soil with the plant and burn that as well. And of course, bur- dirt doesn't burn as well as one would like so that's why we have, a, have this large burn pile with a lot of material so we can get a really hot fire going. And then um, another way that I know has worked is silage the material. So uh-huh. the weeds and the, um, the plant bits are, they essentially become denatured. Um, in the research that I've done, or the, the research that I've looked at, it still isn't really very well understood why silaging works, but it's thought to be related to the higher temperatures in a silage pile, as well as the fermentation process. And that really affects any potential growth from a seed or any plant material. So, in siling can work really well, but you have to make sure that you're, you're doing it properly.
0: I have heard anecdotally um, from a couple of people that wild buckwheat and wild oats i think they silaged something that was just wild oats and wild buckwheat and they're like that was some of the best silage we ever made
1: (laughs) yeah you know i i i think it's quite funny i horrify my fiance because he has very specific ideas about what sort of grass we will turn into hay and so on and I keep telling him that for some of the what we consider waste areas, like around the waterer and, and by the oiler, that, um, you know, if you plant, if you have quackgrass there, you can't kill the stuff. Oh, he's just horrified. But when you think about that, the actual protein value of quack grass is actually quite high, but it's incredibly invasive if you plant it anywhere because then it just goes crazy and I hate all that stuff out of my garden so he has a point but at the same time you know some of that stuff can uh, can actually do, do really well
0: for sure um I've also heard that composting will work for weed seeds have you heard anything about that I have again it all
1: depends on how hot it gets in that compost pile that is completely reliant on um on heat you have to have it hot enough and i can't remember what the the temperature has to be before you denature the seeds but um it does work um especially if you have um, tarp to cover your your compost pile because that traps the heat in there as well and basically sets up a little steamy cooking area um but yeah it it, again you have to make sure that your compost pile gets hot enough to denature those seeds because otherwise you could just end up spreading them with the compost which is fertilizer (laughs) so right yeah you've just guaranteed that uh, you're going to have a
0: lovely crop of whatever (laughs) weeds it is (laughs) gotcha so what about preventing weeds from arriving (laughs) i love prevention
1: because there actually is a lot you can do um, to protect yourself from weeds if you don't have them. Um, before you buy land, inspect it for regulated weeds. If you can't because you live too far away or it's the middle of winter, lots of people buy it when it's all beautiful and bright and then they, they phone us in the, in the spring going, oh my God, I've got all this weed, I've got all this stuff, what do I do? I didn't know that. Um, call your municipal ag office. Because we can tell you whether there's any weed notices on that property and what sort of weed species you should keep an eye out for. We can't tell you if there's been a weed inspection done because that's, um, that's private, but weed notices um, are required to be uh, divulged under law. So if you ask someone directly, have you had a weed notice on this property, and they have, but they lie and say no, you can actually break that um, agreement that you made and get your deposit back because it, it is a you must re- report it. Lots of people don't know that. So they just don't do it because they just don't know that that's, a, that's actually a requirement. So it isn't a guarantee that there aren't regulated weeds after you talk with the Ag Department, but I can certainly tell you if there's been a big enough problem to warrant a notice. Um, if you're bringing in fill or topsoil, go take a look at the pile it's coming from. Honestly, it is not a wasted trip. Or take a look at the land it was removed from. That's gonna tell you right then what sort of weeds you'll be dealing with. And screening of soil does not remove weed seeds. It's amazing how many times I've heard from some rural residents saying, but it was screened, it was screened topsoil. Yeah, that's great. There's no lumps, but there's still weed seeds because they're really small, some of them. To protect your existing land from infestation, make sure any hay or materials brought in are weed free. Make sure you you're using certified seed, because that um, there's a there's a requirement that there's to be no noxious weeds or a certain less than two percent. So at least you're not seeding weed seeds. Whereas if you're using common seed, yeah, you're getting some of the seed you want, but you're also you don't even know how much weed seeds you might be um, might be seeding in there. Make sure your pastures or your hay fields are healthy. They need to be well established with really good plant cover. They have to be well fertilized, not overgrazed, and no significant bare spots. Bare spots are an open invitation for weeds to come and colonize. And be aware of the weeds that you may come across. And when you see any, remove them right away. The sooner you get at them, if it's one or two plants, the less likely you are to have a big problem. I have seen areas where they started out with one or two plants. They weren't able to address it properly. And within three years, they had a huge problem. And the bigger the problem, the more costly it is whether it's in terms of time of weeding and um, or of resources like like your tractor your mower your disker or, or in money in terms of herbicide application or having someone to come and spray it prevention is it's my favorite because it's the cheapest and keeping your keeping your land healthy and well covered is just a, a it's rel- a relatively straightforward and simple way to, to kind of weed proof your place.
0: Awesome. So I think most producers are probably pretty familiar with the usual weeds they deal with because they deal with them a lot, but are there any good resources out there for, for identifying plants and weeds that they might not recognize or that sort of stuff?
1: Oh, yes, there are. Probably my favorite resource for identifying various regulated weeds and learning about them is the Alberta Invasive Species Council's website. They have, an, they have information sheets complete with pictures for every regulated weed in Alberta. These info sheets are really helpful because they tell you all about the plant. They offer some suggestions for control. They tell you how it grows, what it likes, what it doesn't like. Um, another great resource is your friendly agricultural fieldman. We're pretty well versed in plant identification. And if we can't identify it, we have contacts that can. And um, we can usually get an answer within a couple of days if we don't know what it is. And then finally, I often rely on my plant books, if I don't recognize a plant I'm seeing. A couple of my go-to's are Weeds of the West. That's a great book. Big Pictures explains a lot about it, about that particular plant. Another one is Plants of Alberta, and then Common Plants of the Western Rangelands. They have um, the plants of the the area, but they also cover weeds as well. So um, they're really, really helpful books. I have used the PlantSnap app, PlantSnap app, ooh, that's mouthful, but I find it isn't as accurate as I'd like. Um, but it can often point me in the right direction, which gets me going on actually being able to ID the plant and can be actually quite helpful. But um, I would say in the times that I've used it, it has maybe been 30% accurate in terms of identifying the weeds that I have put in there. For other... Um, domestic like house plants or some of the types of forbs or grasses it's pretty good but when you're getting into into weeds they can often look like something else and then you end up going down
0: the wrong rabbit hole. Okay um and on that note are there any resources or other projects at the County of Grand Prairie you'd like to mention before we we sign off?
1: Oh yeah this has been such a great opportunity I really appreciate it it's um Cause yeah, we have lots going on, we always do. We have a, if people wanna learn about um, noxious weeds, we do have a, um, a garden that we plant every year with noxious weeds. Cause apparently if you treat them well, they don't like to grow and they don't stay over, they don't overwinter. So every year we go and we collect our usual suspects and we plant them in our, our, um, our weed garden, our, pardon me, our invasive species demonstration area. And um, we have it properly, um, we've got it screened so that the seeds can't move. And we also, um, we also keep them well trimmed so that they either don't set seed or they can't spread. So that's one of our, our um, things we offer. If you wanna call us, we'd be happy to show you around. One of the things that we're really starting to publicize this year is um, we are offering producers that rent Agland the opportunity to register any rented quarters with us. We don't know who rents what, we just know who owns the land. And so if a renter that is farming that land wants to be contacted first when there's a weed problem, they need to register that land with us. And then our weed inspector checks anything that that they've looked at against that list and say, oh, okay, this is actually farmed by this fella. So I'll send that information to him at the first time. And then what it does is it it, um, it gives a producer a chance to look after the weeds without involving the landowner who might not even be in Alberta. I mean, there's one fellow that's uh, down in the States and you know, there's folks that are all scattered across the country that still own land in Alberta. But um, if the producer chooses not to address the weeds, which if they have gone to the trouble of registering their rented quarters, they all, all do um we would then notify the landowner because the weed control is ultimately their responsibility so that is a a service that we offer and um, i'm optimistic that we have some more producers that will uh, take advantage of it because again we can't we don't know who rents what but if you want to register it or you're a landowner that is renting to someone and you want to register that land by all means just give us a call we'd be happy to put you on our list um, we've got our weed warrior program up and running again, and that's where nonprofit groups come out and learn about weeds. They spend a few hours picking and we give them $500 for it. It's, a, uh, it's been very successful. We've run it for a number of years now, and lots of people are learning about weeds. And it's quite funny because some of them come back year after year and they're like, I'm ruined everywhere I go now. That's all I see is these weeds. So it's quite humorous. Um, and I'm gonna really just plug our programs. We've got a 100 years of farming program. We've got two streams for recognition because we really value the contributions of the people that came and settled and really began our county. The Pioneer Award is for people who've resided and farmed in the county for 100 years. Um, they may not own their original quarter anymore, but they've still been here long a long time and have been foundational to the success of the, of the, the county. And we have the Heritage Award which recognizes those who continue to farm the original homestead land a hundred years later. And so I can provide you with links for the websites where the information is. And I'll definitely um, give you the one for the Alberta Invasive Species Council. That is a huge, huge resource. And we really, I try and plug it all I can because we use it a lot.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And for everybody who's listening, as usual, all those links will be in the description. So definitely go and check those out and uh yeah, I think, I think with that, we'll sign off. Thank you again for, for coming on. I think that was informative for me anyway.
1: Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. I love talking about weeds, as I'm sure you can tell. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on this podcast. And it's just another great example of how the, the county and the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association work so well together.
0: For sure it is. All right. Uh, With that, thanks for everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Peace Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening.